The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amenadab, and Amenadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Second Samuel chapter 11, verses 26 and 27. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Second Samuel chapter 12, verses 24 and 25. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went in to her and lay with her. And she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Well, good morning, Hudson community, or Hudson. You can tell the old guy is here. Good morning, Christ Community Chapel. You know, as I watch those slides that were played earlier, I can't help but think how good God has been over 40 years. To be a part of this is an incredible thing. And you, you, I am so grateful for every one of you. Whether you have been here from the very beginning or you just walked in today, it is an amazing thing. And I hope you realize it. I hope you cherish this particular body of people with all of our differences, with all of the ways we can very easily irritate one another. I know I have done it to many of you, and yet we have walked together, carrying the message of Jesus Christ, not only to this city, but all over the world. And I am really grateful for each of you. Well, I get the privilege of sharing the last message in our Advent series in this unique genealogy. It really is unique, particularly for the time. I mean, you've heard it said over and over again that, that typically it was this father and this father and this father and this father and seldom in this particular culture a woman was never mentioned, but here there are four that are mentioned. We've gone through the first three, and the fourth one in the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 
is not even mentioned by name. In fact, and we'll go back in a moment to where this whole story originates of Bathsheba, we know her, her name is not mentioned. She is referred to even in 2 Samuel as the wife of Uriah. Not until later in 2 Samuel is her name mentioned after David takes her as his wife. So it is my job to handle this passage, and I want you all to know that I worked desperately these last couple of weeks. I got a head start on everybody, but because I wanted to come up with an outline that was either two or four points. <laughs> I, I, I just did. You know, I, and it was because I'm ornery, and, but I have three. <laughs> so it keeps us in rhythm. So if you are a note taker or you just want something to hang your thoughts on, here are my three points, okay? The kings that we have, the kings that we want, and the king that we need. The kings that we have, the kings that we want, and the king that we need. You may or may not be familiar with the story of David and Bathsheba. It, was, it is one of the saddest stories in the Bible, really. A young woman who goes by the identity of only this, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, is taken advantage of by someone in authority, in power, a ruler, King David, Interestingly, a man after God's own heart does not mean he is sinless, does not mean he is not selfish. But if we go back to 2 Samuel, and I invite you to turn there if you have a Bible or you can take out your phone and maybe you have a Bible app. If you're watching online, then you can certainly go to the browser and, and find the Bible or pick one up in your home and begin to look with me at this. This story of David and Bathsheba is, is an intriguing one. Uh, what we're shown is that David, who the king of Israel, is roaming around on his rooftop deck uh, when he should be out doing battle. Now, whether he had gotten old and tired or, or simply desired to, do, to, to send out his strongmen, he's roaming around on his rooftop and we're told in 2 Samuel that he sees a woman bathing. We don't know if that woman was trying to, uh, to expose herself to David. We don't know any of that. So to try and find out exactly what the motive was on either, what we do know is that David saw something and he wanted it right away. And so he asks one of his his associates, who is this woman? Now, let me say this. I think David knew exactly who she was. Here's why. You know who Bathsheba's father was? Eliam, one of David's 30 mighty men. 
You know who her grandfather was? Hmm. Ahithophel, who was a, a military advisor to David. It is, it is my, maybe in my imagination, I think it would be true that David probably knew exactly who she was. She, he had probably seen her before. He had probably exercised this, this presence that would certainly have impressed or perhaps intimidated this young woman. But he says to his assistant, go and, and find out who she is and bring her to me. And it's, it, we hear that right away that he says, well, this is, this is Uriah, his wife, which, by the way, Uriah was one of David's mighty men. I mean, he, he was one of the 30 men that David most trusted. And yet, in his power, in his authority, he decides to, to step through and, and he takes this woman that is not his to take, and he brings her into his place, and he commits adultery. And by that act, Bathsheba becomes pregnant, and David now has to figure something out. What can I do? How can I, how can I make this right? You ever been there? You ever taken a, a step in a direction that was, that was driven by your selfishness or maybe by the fact that you just could do it because of your position or because of your authority? Power is something, it's so intoxicating. I mean, even, even as a pastor, I will confess to you, there, there's something that I do battle with whenever I stand to proclaim the word of God. I have to remind myself over and over and over and over again that this is God's word to God's people. And even though there is an opportunity to be influential or to use that authority, I want to go here and see no, because as soon as I use that authority in the wrong way, then I have to decide how do I get out of the predicament that I find myself. And so David begins to manipulate. He, he calls for Uriah to come home and off the battlefield, and he, he hopes, he just hopes with all of his being that he will go to his wife and and spend some time with her, and through the intimacy of that relationship, at least he might be able to, think, to trick everybody that, that actually the baby is Uriah's, but Uriah is a man of integrity. And Uriah would not do that. He sleeps with the troops. So David decides... I'll have him killed. And that's the short response. But here's the kind of kings that we have. 
David in his two of his most famous psalms, Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, introduce us to, to three words that describe the very nature of this brokenness that we have. There, those three words, we read them in our English, are, are sin, iniquity, and transgression. They're different Hebrew words. And David confesses them all. He said, he, he said, I have sinned. Forgive me of my sin. We know that to mean to miss the mark. There is a, there is a standard. God holds us to a standard of holiness. And to miss that mark of holiness is called sin. David confesses that, but he also confesses his, his iniquity, something that he recognizes in this relationship with this woman that was not his to take. He recognizes iniquity. The Hebrew word for iniquity means to bend or twist. Have you ever been to a, a carnival or... I haven't been to Cedar Point in a long time because I would hurt myself on the rides, but... But they used to have an arcade with these curved mirrors. And if you stand in front of a certain curve, you look tall and thin. Another, you look short and stubby. And they distort what is true. David distorted. He distorted his relationship with certainly Bathsheba. He distorted a relationship with Uriah. He distorted a relationship with the men that he trusted the most. He distorted his authority and his power. It's the kind of kings we have. I don't care where you fall on the aisle, the, the leaders, the kings are always manipulating, always trying, and we see it more and more because all of a sudden it becomes acceptable because there, there are no absolutes. And what David did is he not only missed the mark of holiness, but he, he committed iniquity, he twisted what was true. And it didn't just affect him and those closest around him. It would affect Bathsheba. We'll see that in a moment. But there was another word that is translated sin or transgression in Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. Those great confessional psalms is the word, that word transgression is to purposely overstep. I, want, I don't want to make David out to be the worst man who ever lived because he was not. Man, I don't want to paint him as one who just thought about ways of, of if you will, overstepping the, the boundaries of his authority because we've all done it. And that's what transgression is, is to, to see the boundaries to, to see them and then just go, I don't really care. I don't care what the boundaries are. I don't care what the fences are. I have the authority to break down those fences. I have the power, whether it's in your home, whether it's at your work, whether it's in relationship. 
Unless someone here think that, well, I don't really have any kind of position. I don't, I don't have the kind of a authority that, that my boss does or a, or a senator has or, or someone in power. I don't have, yes, you do. And you know exactly, I do too. I know exactly Confession. It's not hidden. I mean, I know when my big mug comes up on the screen, they put founding pastor under that. Yeah, okay. I didn't do it alone. But with founding pastor comes a lot of freedom, I'll call it. People don't tell me to do things like they tell other people to do. And that's a great feeling. There's, there's, there's a position of power in that where, where you, can, you, can, you can use it. And, and I have to remind myself because it is so tempting. It is, it is, it's just like, oh, yeah, I don't have to do that. I mean, I, I, listen, I, I believe that the staff here, the people I work with are so wonderful, and I think they, they care about me and they love me, and I, and I think they love me so much that I could walk into our lead pastor's office and say, you know, uh, hey, listen, I'm not doing what everybody else does. And he would probably go, uh, well, no. Now that I think about it, he would probably punch me in the face, but, but, but apart from that. But, it's, but there are those those places, those things that we have in our life that, that we know we can use them. David sinned. David twisted truth. And David saw the boundaries and he said, I don't really care. We can look back at David or we can look right now and see the kind of kings, rulers, people in authority that we have. Which leads me to my second is the ones, the rulers, the kings that we want. Bathsheba, her firstborn dies as a result of sin. That's recorded. It's a sad occasion but it's recorded because of the sins of others, a child dies. A second child is born to Bathsheba. His name is Solomon. Now here's where Bathsheba, I think, is starting to learn how the world works. She has watched a man who used his authority to manipulate her, to take advantage of her, She comes into a position of of authority along with the king. She is favored by the king. All of a sudden, the hurt is buried and the position seems to at least soothe some of the pain that she experiences. As she grows older and as her son matures, In her wisdom and in her experience, she begins to learn how to work the system. 
She sees that her son Solomon is in competition with his half-brother Adonijah, and, and she begins to, along with Nathan, who had confronted David, begins to manipulate the situation to make sure that her son would become the next king, and that's recorded in 1 Kings. You can read it for yourself in the first chapter. And Solomon is anointed king, and he is on the throne, and, and now Bathsheba is the queen mother, and she has watched and she has seen the example of those in position and power, and there's something inside of her that she inherently recognizes that, that it's wrong, it's not right. And in Proverbs, this is a wonderful, wonderful passage. We sometimes skip over it in Proverbs 31. We read about the, the, the virtuous woman, but in the first eight verses, it begins this way when it says the words of King Lemuel. Now, there are scholars debate this, but I believe that, that what is Lemuel is a pet name that, that Bathsheba gave to her son Solomon. I could be wrong, but I think it's true. And it says the words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. Now, it goes through a couple of, of advices to this king not to do, but what I want you to do, I want to do is turn your attention to verses 8 and 9 when she says, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. And I think right there, Bathsheba says, this is the kind of king that I want. She wants a king who is righteous in his judgment. Judge righteously, she says. She wants a king who is, who is someone who would redeem or rescue mercifully. She says, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. She wants a king who, is, who will defend, who is a protector. That's the kind of king we want. That's the kind of rulers. That's the kind of people that we want to, to guide, whether our nation or our business, our place of work and our families. We want those who are, who are righteous in their justice, who are, who are merciful in their dealings with us and who will protect us but she couldn't find it. Solomon, oh, he did well, but he didn't always listen to his mother's advice. But there would be one who would come, which leads me to my last point, the king we need. In Isaiah chapter 9, You've read it perhaps for Christmas time, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government, and of his peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord 
will do this. The king we need is found in the one whose birth we celebrated yesterday. The king we need is Jesus. He's the one who meets, meets all the qualifications, all the demands of the king that we need. I mean, Matthew proclaims it. In Matthew 1, 21, if, if you want to turn there, he, he, the writer of the gospel says it very clearly. Behold, the virgin will, shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Obviously, there is holiness. Obviously, there is righteousness. In Matthew chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, we read these words. They told him in, the, in Bethlehem, that is the, the prophets telling the wise men, told them in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, and from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Throughout the scriptures, you can read that Jesus is the king who judges rightly. In John chapter 5, verse 22, these words, For the Father judges no one, but he has given all judgment to his Son. And when you hear the word judgment, don't hear pointing and condemning. Hear benefit. Hear determination. Hear finding what is true. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead. Jesus is the one who judges rightly. He knows the intentions of your heart. He knows the things that you want to do and the things that you don't want to do. But not only is he the king that judges righteously, he is the king who mercifully redeems. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Or going on to Galatians chapter 4, listen to these words. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, that is Advent, that is Christmas. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and as daughters. In Titus chapter 3, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the righteous judge. Jesus is the merciful redeemer. And Jesus is the firm and tender shepherd. Behold, the Lord comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are young. That's Isaiah 40, verses 10 and 11. 
In John chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. All of us, all of us and have some position of authority and power and all of those who are in that position, whether good or bad, always disappoint. They always, they always fall short. But there is a king. There is a king we really need. And that king has come. He was born in a stable. He came that we might be forgiven, that we might be redeemed, taken out, and that we might be embraced. Have you placed yourself under the authority of that king? His name is Jesus. He is the Christ. He is the savior of the world. He is God with us. He is king. And he is the one and the only king that you and I really need. I hope you know him. Our Father and God, I am so deeply grateful for this season, for this time of year. I'm so thankful that you have exposed us to so many things that fall short, so people who, who guide, people who have authority, and then in the fullness of time, you sent your son, Jesus. I pray that on this day after Christmas, that those who know him as Savior will find him more tender and more significant than ever. And maybe there is one here that needs to reach out and simply say, Jesus, be my king. Be my savior. Be my Lord. We pray in his name. Amen.